everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. In a room where potentially you might be able to actually hear what I have to say. Hey, all right. There we go. <laughs> Rob had some location issues before our podcast recording today, but we are back with you. And we've got an excellent show. We're going to go over the box office which of course means we'll be talking about uh, Wakanda forever. Uh, we will talk about a possible major merger in the horror genre. Uh, John Wick 4 is out with the trailer, and we will discuss trailers and ways to make your holiday viewing experience even better. And of course, our watch list. All right, Rob, let's get started. Box office results. Wakanda forever. Dominant finished uh, the weekend with a total of 181.3 million. It's made over 330 million worldwide so far. Dominant first week in the box office. Um, Black Adam uh, continued good run with 8.1 million, has crossed the 150 million by marker domestically. Ticket to Paradise keeps chugging along 5.9 million and Lyle Lyle Crocodile at 3.2 million and rounding out the top five is Smile at 2.3, which means Smile has crossed the $100 million mark domestically. So big, big success for that horror film. Uh, Rob, um, I think our thoughts on box office have to begin and end with Wakanda Forever. Thoughts? Well, the fact that in uh, weekend it made thirty million dollars more than Black Adam has made in its entire run so far, um, I think shows that there is still an audience for Marvel, and that audience is a lot bigger than the audience for DC. Yes, there's just a even even though Marvel has been a little up and down, um, there's a much bigger level of trust from movie audiences when it comes to Marvel than it does when it comes to DC. And I think you're seeing that even though phase four has been a little uneven, you're still seeing that for sure with the results we got from, uh, from black Panther. I, I would say that um, I'll talk about this more in the watch list a little bit. because you have not seen the movie yet, mm-hmm. but that I would put this up there with um, Spider-Man no way home as the best movie of the newest phase of Marvel mm-hmm. movies. Um, and I think it might be one of the best acted Marvel movies of any phase that I've seen. Hmm. So I'm not surprised that it's done so well. So let me just ask you this, because like you said, I did not get to see it. I was sick over the past week and uh, therefore my box office chance went out the window. However, um, I will ask you this. Um, do you think it is... It is because of the movie itself. Do you think, basically, do you think Wakanda, the characters in Wakanda, continue to have a viable future going forward? Or was this movie largely effective um, because of the emotional weight and the absence of Black Panther? So I think a lot of what drove people to it the opening weekend is... um, to honor Chadwick Boseman, the the Black Panther actor, um, 
But I also think that going forward, it might continue to do well because I do think the characters in the movie are solid. Hmm. Um, I think the bad, the, the antagonist in this movie is one of the better Marvel antagonists there have been. Hmm. Um, and I could see um, that character being continued and uh, used in other movies. So I, I think that it's a well done movie. Uh, when you do this well in an opening weekend, there is a reason that people are being, um, you know, motivated to go out and see it. I do think that it might have more of a draw for like a family type um, outing, which is going to increase ticket sales if you're bringing several people along to the movie. Um, I think Spider-Man was the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are just certain characters and uh, movies that people will bring like the whole family out to. Um and I, I, I think that is probably breaking it down to real simplistic um, views. That's probably some of why Marvel has done better than DC. Because DC from the outset has kind of veered into that darker kind of mm-hmm. space, which is not really um, marketed as a family-friendly kind of experience. Yeah. And... I do feel like Marvel has marketed their movies in a different way. And this movie is uh, it's a serious movie. Um, it's very dramatic for a comic book movie. Uh, so I'm interested in seeing how what, what kind of legs it has, what kind of word of mouth it has, because it is almost three hours long. Yeah. Um, it's very dramatic. There are some action sequences, but it's certainly not focused on that. Um, some humor, but certainly not focused on that either so uh the question is uh will people spread the word on this will people latch on to it um very interested in seeing what it does in the next few weeks yeah yeah for sure for sure and that's generally what we see when audi you for bigger movies you get that big initial week and then you see where it goes from there as we saw with top gun it just kept building and building and building it just kept going on for the long haul um, whereas other movies, you've seen a significant drop off after week one, and and then you move you move towards it being a normal a normal run of you know six seven weeks. All right, so uh, that's the box office results. Now we've got two main movies opening this coming weekend, and uh, there's some interesting options. Uh, number one is the menu, and the menu. Uh, stars uh, a bunch of actors. Now I just dropped it. There we go. Uh, Ralph Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt. And um, it is a young couple travels to a remote island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. Uh, This movie has a really interesting vibe to it. Um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And the second movie is She Said, starring Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. And this is New York Times reporters Megan Twohy and Jody Cantor break one of the most important stories in a generation, a story that helped ignite a movement and shatter decades of silence around the subject of sexual assault in Hollywood. So this is the one that's largely centered around the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Uh, Rob, 
what do you make of the new entrance to the box office? So first of all, I have to say that um, the only reason I know this is because of having messed it up before and and being scolded. So I call I call uh, Rafe Fines. Rafe, don't call me Ralph. Yeah, Fines. I know. I do know that it's Rafe. <laughs> I know. I screwed that up. You're right. It is Rafe, um, not Ralph. Yes, but I am excited to see that movie. In fact, I'm seeing it tonight. Um, so it is been billed as a dark comedy with a tinge of horror which sounds very intriguing to me yeah um and he's a very good actor and Anya Taylor Joy is a very good actor as well so I am really excited to see um what they do with this movie yeah me too I think this is the one I I, I'm intrigued by this because this is one of those potential genre crossing movies that has a lot of intrigue to it um because it does it i mean you can tell it's got that dark comedic element you can tell it could kind of go in the to the way of horror but if you watch one of the trailers you're not sure exactly what direction it's going to go they're intentionally leaving that mysterious which i think is well is really well done which is something we can get to we'll get to when we talk about movie trailers in a bit but uh i think there's a lot of intrigue around this movie and the, and the cast is excellent so uh i am I'm certainly, I would love to go see this. I don't know if I'll have a chance to right away because uh, I still have some, obviously still have to see Wakanda and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, I also think we need uh, probably talk about this next weekend, but due to the fact that it opens up on the 23rd, uh, Glass Onion is in the yes. theater for its only week starting the 23rd yes. of November. So mm-hmm. if you are interested in seeing it you need to check to see if it's in the theater near you um as soon as you can uh starting on the 23rd yeah definitely that's uh that's one you're gonna want to see for sure yeah and it'll be in theaters it'll it'll be in the theater for a week and then it'll be on netflix starting december 23rd yeah so you'll have a week in the theater then about a month before it comes out on netflix yeah so go see it it's it's I, I want people to go see it so that Netflix realizes it's in their best interest to uh, release some of their movies in the theater. <laughs> yep, let's do it. Yeah, because they bought rights to several of these uh, movies for uh, this cast. So I'm I'm really hoping that they'll release them for longer periods if this one works out successfully. All right. So that is the box office for this week. And now we'll move on to a couple of news items. With with the success of Wakanda Forever, I thought we would go back to this story that you sent me uh, a couple weeks ago about Quentin Tarantino not wanting to make a Marvel movie. Uh, Do you want to walk us through this one a little bit? So essentially, uh, Quentin Tarantino, I don't know if he was asked directly or unprovoked, just decided to give his opinion on superhero movies um but he's not a fan uh we can pretty much surmise based on his comments uh in this article uh he said that most directors are looking forward to the day when superhero movies are no longer being made Hmm. um i guess so that real movies (laughs) can be made um uh, i just find the whole just just in general when it comes to life disliking something doesn't make you cool yeah 
And uh, I think a lot of people in the Hollywood establishment struggle with that concept because they want, because I, I think they, it's because of how personally they take their art yeah, that they find offense in things that are not aligned with their sensibility, which I think is a pretty vapid, boring, um, lame way to look at things. Yeah. Just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now Quentin Tarantino is not the worst example of this because he has made films that people want to go see. But so many of these, you know, quote unquote, artsy directors who hate on who hate on the genre continue producing movies nobody wants to see and then get offended and almost on their high horse when nobody wants to see them. And it's like, dude, that's your fault. <laughs> you created a niche movie that very, very few people want to see. And then you're on your high horse about it. And it's almost like a badge of honor to some of these guys that nobody wanted to see their movie. <laughs> Now, Tarantino isn't quite like that, but still, it's like, this is always the case. Who are the best-selling artists in music? The best-selling artists are always pop stars. Pop music, from a from an actual musical standpoint, most of it's garbage. <laughs> you know, there's some, now there's some legitimate pop artists who are actually artists. You know, it's just things that have a broader range of appeal have to be a little bit more you know, have to be a little bit, I don't know what the word I'm, I'm, I'm not having the word have to be a little bit more broad ranging, which means you're not always going to get the same level as you mm. get from an indie film or, a, or an art level film. If you're trying to bring maximum audience into it, um, there's, there's a, a sense of that, but I think you're also, it's also underselling some of the movies that have been created. Some of these have been really, really good. Um, you can look no further than Christopher Nolan's dark Knight trilogy. I mean, those were fantastic movies from a movie standpoint. Um, you can look at even you were talking about it earlier, No Way Home from Spider-Man. I mean, that was a really, really well done movie. So I don't think I think you're almost criticizing a meme of what you think they are versus what you get in actuality for some of these these things. Yeah, it's about accessibility, which has been the mm -hmm. um, main issue, I think, with the Oscars Yeah, that we've had the last few years that they seem to be honoring movies that are very inaccessible. Mm -hmm. um, Almost either, on purpose. Either by interest or by where they are being um, able to be seen. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of these um, art house type movies they're just not places that the general public has an opportunity to go see them in the first place yeah yeah and i think i mean you can criticize the direction in the movie industry like christopher nolan does this all the time he, he criticizes the way you know he was very vocal about the move to streaming and not being a fan of that because he was trying to protect the cinema uh but he also knows exactly how to make really good movies that everyone wants to go see um so i think yeah i just think getting on your high horse about it isn't isn't gonna make you look better as a director <laughs> yeah it just doesn't yeah i also think and this yeah. was this was this was brought up in the 
comments on Reddit under this article that it's highly likely that most um, of these directors have no idea what the theater going experience is for a normal person. Yeah, it's true. Um, they're, they're not living in those spaces. They're, they're screening the movies they watch by themselves um, in a room, maybe with like five friends. You know, they're, they're not experiencing the community of being in these places on opening weekend for one of these movies, uh, feeling the emotions involved, um, feeling the joy involved. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're disconnected from that, uh, it's easy to miss out on some elements of what make uh, the movies that are popular popular in the first place. Well, and, and you see this in other areas of life where people attack things they don't understand because they don't understand them. And the first step to, to doing that is actually trying to is actually trying to say, okay, why do so many people like these movies? And then once you have an understanding of that, then you then I think you're in a better place to say, yeah, this works. No, this doesn't work. I still don't like it. But without that level of understanding as why people would like them and why people continue to go see them and why they continue to make so much money, then I think you're you're a little bit off of uh, you're a little bit off the path. Okay, well let's move on from Quentin Tarantino, uh, and we have a really interesting uh, potential story here. Uh, two of the biggest players in the horror genre are potentially merging. Yes, Atomic Monster and Blumhouse, uh, two of the big name in horrors, biggest names in horror, you know, run by James Wan and uh, Jason Blum, are in advanced talks to merge their production companies. Now, this is really interesting. Um, now, according to the report, uh, each of the companies would operate as separate labels and each of them maintain their own creative autonomy and brand identity. Uh, so you'd, you wouldn't be see, you wouldn't see some new company. You still see stuff come out of the Blumhouse label or under the atomic monster label. Um, and yeah, this is interesting. I think the, the goal here is, uh, that they gain a little bit more power and, uh, they'll they'll have combined resources to be able to produce more things, and then these guys have some of the biggest products. I mean, you have Saw, you have Paranormal Activity, Conjuring, Sinister, uh, all these type of things, um, and they're looking to expand their ventures beyond merely films into video games, live experiences, and audio. So interesting creative development. What do you uh, what do you make of this? I hope they make a Blumhouse theme park that I can go to because <laughs> that sounds terrifying and fun. Um, but yeah, Blumhouse, I think, is the name when it comes to this genre we've seen over the last decade. Um, I do think A24 mm -hmm. has done some really good stuff in this space, too. They are um, maybe a little more focused on the thriller aspect of things or... Um, uncomfortable kind of movie filmmaking if mm -hmm. you want to say that yeah um, so maybe this merger is an attempt to uh, challenge that a little bit um, but anything that can get me more good horror movies I'm on board with 
I so I, I do wonder like, what is the, what is the um, benefit for both sides mm -hmm. of this to come together? If they're, if they're still going to maintain their separate brand identities, what, what are we going to see um, come out of them? That's unified. Like you, you mentioned some of the things they're talking about, but I'm very interested in seeing how that actually plays out, what that looks like. Yeah, for real. And I, I'm intrigued by the fact that they want to move beyond merely movies. Um, that's not something we've seen a whole lot from other, from some of the other studios. I mean, obviously Disney has a whole range of things that are, go beyond movies, but that's, I mean, they're a behemoth. It's, uh, it's unusual to see something like this. Um, so I'm intrigued. I mean, I'm not a big horror guy. So it's not like I'm going to be consuming a lot of their products, but I'm intrigued by what they're they're thinking about and what they're proposing to see what that does, uh, if that open up opens up some new lanes for for some of the relatively smaller uh, movie studios and production companies. Uh, yeah, it it could be it could be interesting. These guys are definitely creative. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, Field of Streams presented by Blumhouse Studios. <laughs> the question is, like, you you mentioned a theme park there. The question is, can something like that survive outside the Halloween season? Can you? It, can it be something you run year round? I I would say I would lean towards no, but mm. I would also say that um, those places during the Halloween season make bank. <laughs> yeah. So if you had one that was um, more aligned with that kind of brand identity and had mm -hmm. stuff that connected people to those movies, I could see it making a lot of money, um, even if it was only open for like a month out of the year every year. Yeah, because when you think about it, most theme parks make the vast majority of their money over, you know, a four month window mm -hmm. a year. Now they'll make some like most theme parks will run something over Thanksgiving and Christmas as well uh, to get people out. but the majority of their money comes in three to four months. Now the Halloween season is definitely shorter, but it would be fascinating to see that. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued with what they're thinking about from the audio standpoint too. I mean, are we talking about like some sort of audio books, uh, something on audible or something like that? That would be interesting. Yeah. We've seen some things like that with um, like the alien franchise mm -hmm. has some audio books out. Um, I listened to a couple of them and they were quite good. So I could see something like that where they tell stories that expand on the universe of um, other stories they've already told. Yeah. Well, we will wait and see what happens with this potential merger between Atomic Monster and Blumhouse. Uh, now our last one, we'll just uh, talk about this for a minute. Uh, came out like a week or two ago, and I didn't get it into the outline, but John Wick 4 trailer dropped. The first trailer for John Wick 4 is out. Uh, this film is slated to open March 24th, 2023, and they're giving you your first look with the two and a half minute trailer, which we'll link to in the comments. Uh, Rob, did you get a chance to watch the trailer? I actually saw the trailer in the theater. Um before Wakanda Forever, it actually played. Oh, nice. Um, so I had a chance to see it there, and I rewatched it again before, uh, before the podcast. And uh, I, I really like the John Wick movies. Mm -hmm. um, they are excessive and <laughs> over the top and unnecessarily violent. 
Um, but they are also, in my opinion, well shot, well acted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the set pieces with that said violence are done quite effectively. Yeah. Um, it, it could be, it should, it, th- these are the kind of movies I would say they do not have a right to be as good as they are. <laughs> and as much trash as he has gotten over the years, um, some deserve for some of his acting performances. I really do think this character in particular is an excellent fit for Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he does a fantastic job in this role, particularly. Yeah. Yeah. What a, the John Wick films are so good. And you, for, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, uh, but it is most of the time when you think of action, shoot em up action movies, you think of a movie that you go just for the entertainment value. You know you're going to get things that are outlandish. You know you're going to get things that are almost cartoonish. Um, and you're just going to shut your brain off. They're not They're not particularly always, most of the time, well-done films. That's where this one, this series is different. This is elevating the the genre of the action shoot 'em up film to a high art. It really is. I mean, the way they're shot, the the settings, the scenes, um, the cinematography, uh, this is taking it to a whole nother level. We talked about what happened with the transition from Bond from the the 90s version of Bond, 90s, early 2000s, to when they jumped up to Daniel Craig and the, how they just elevated that genre. This is what John Wick has done with these action movies. It has elevated that genre to a much higher form of art. And it's impossible to watch these movies and not be blown away by the look and the feel of them. And and how that how that plays into... And it's not just that it's shot well. Like, it plays into the whole framework of the character this is an almost an elevated high society level of shoot him up with with the uh you know his organization as it were so it has that kind of feel to it and i i'm i'm glad whenever they come out with another one yep i will be seeing it in the theater for sure i'm looking forward to it absolutely all right so let's move on to discussion here um so in in speaking of trailers, uh, we've talked about trailers once before. So what makes a good trailer and what makes a bad trailer and that sort of thing. But I thought we'd tackle it from a little bit of a different standpoint um, and make it a little bit more personal. So if you are, if it's not a, a movie you are very familiar with, if it's a random movie that comes out, if it's something you're trying, you you look at and you see what in a trailer will make you say, huh? I think I want to go see that. And on the flip side of it, what makes you view a trailer and be like, yeah, no, I'm not interested. So there's a podcast I'm going to recommend here um, called 20,000 Hertz, mm. um, hosted by a man named Dallas Taylor. And he did an entire episode about movie trailers. Okay. That you should listen to if you have not listened to before, talking about how movie trailers have changed over time, mm-hmm. um, how back. 20 years ago we had the movie trailer voice Mm -hmm. where it was just one guy explaining um what happened in the movies there are actually two main guys who did that um they sounded similar but there were two different guys 
And when you think about that, you think about like um, now more than ever, like the real serious deep voice in a world where. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Um, Jerry Seinfeld's comedian trailer um, riffed off of this as well. He had one of those two guys do the trailer for his movie and it was all serious. And Jerry Seinfeld's like, uh, this is a comedy movie. Like <laughs> we don't need that. Um, yeah. But so these, these guys on the podcast, they actually make a fake movie trailer based on how trailers are now. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious because it's just so like breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. He's like, remember that thing that you didn't think was a big deal? Turns out it was. And then like, there's the big <laughs> swell that we know from Inception yeah. um, that became such a big thing through that movie that is now in every movie trailer. If you listen to any movie trailer that has any form of action whatsoever in it, you will get one of those big, at least one of those big like base mm-hmm. base earth shaking drops in the yeah. trailer to signify that something big is about to happen. Yeah. Um, the other thing that they pointed out, which I, I can't watch trailers the same anymore after listening to this uh, episode of this podcast. Um, the other thing they pointed out was the fact that a lot of trailers, uh, modern trailers have like the cover song mm-hmm. of the 80s song that is slowed down and acoustic for no reason. John Wick 4, man. It's, yes. it's right in there. It's got yep. another one. Yep. Al- yep. You almost have the- every major movie mm-hmm. trailer has something like that going on in it if you pay attention. It's, it's not always acoustic, but it's definitely like mm-hmm. a slowed down, like, yeah. they Because they match the high intense action with the undertone of like a, a slow, sinister, slow burn cover. Yeah, yeah, because oh, yeah. it, it subverts your expectations of what you're going to see in the trailer. But it, it's gotten to the point that it's actually like become the expectation of what you're going to see in the trailer. Yeah. So when it comes to what in a trailer gets my attention, mm-hmm. um, I feel very basic for saying this because I just said what I said. <laughs> but music gets my attention in the trailer. <laughs> like if there if there's a song that is done well and it matches up with what i'm seeing happen on the screen i'm very Mm -hmm. intrigued by it um one that i can think of um and and the thing with a lot of the songs in these trailers don't actually end up in the movie yeah but the one that intrigued me the most and i was so happy when it was actually in the movie the trailer for 1917 Mm-hmm. with the guy singing the i'm i'm coming home to meet my father i'm coming home no more to Rome." yeah that was in the trailer and i was like that fits so perfectly and then it ended up being in the movie in a very pivotal scene mm-hmm. and it was very powerful yeah and i was really excited um that they did that and that they used the song that was actually in the movie um not a lot of movies do that but it was yeah. done very effectively for that um i think that i'm intrigued by the caliber of actors that are in the movie um and if you can display them without giving away everything that they're going to do um that's something that interests me yeah 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 i think i think from my standpoint i'm looking for what is one particular thing 
that I'm looking at and goes, okay, that's the reason I want to go see this. Usually a trailer gives me a particular reason. Like I'll give an example with the menu. The menu, the fact that they're not coming out and saying what's actually happening to these people when they're at this dinner, they're implying, they're hinting, but they're not actually telling you what's going to happen. That to me is like, ooh, I want to go see that. That there's intrigue there, you know. So that's one. That's one particular hook that comes in. Another one is I just want I want to get a feel for what the movie's tone is. That's another thing I'm looking for. Is the movie have a tone that I'm interested in? Um, and this is this is one for both sides. If I like the tone the movie is setting, I'm much more likely to go than if I don't like the tone. And so that's that's another particular thing that I'm 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 very much looking for when I see a movie is what kind of tone are they creating? Um, and of course, then there's like, what do the visual arts look like? You know, there's some movies where you want to go to because it just looks spectacular. Yeah. So what the what what does it for you on the negative sense? Um. I don't like trailers that give away most of what's happening, mm. but I also think that that's might be an overreaction or oversimplification on my part, because how much can you really give away over two and a half minutes when a movie is an hour and 45 minutes long? I think comedy does this the worst because sometimes the best jokes in the entire movie, they put in the trailer and then when you watch the movie, you feel like a lesser experience because the rest of the jokes don't match up to the ones they put. Mm-hmm. Or they course, put jokes in the trailer that don't actually end up in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, that's like that was when Hollywood actually like made comedies and we've stopped uh-huh. doing that. So yeah. But that that was a big one where where I could say you're you're right on with that, where sometimes they are giving away the best stuff in the trailer. I've actually so we've talked about this. Um before but i've several movies over the last few years i've gone into without watching any trailers Mm. and um i do think there is something to that like i i didn't i didn't so i saw like in passing some trailers for wakanda forever but i didn't really sit down to watch and analyze or Mm. go over or look at in depth any of the trailers that came out so i felt like i had a maybe a bit of a fuller experience um, in the theater, having not seen everything yeah. that they showed. Um, but I also realized that's not um, for everyone. Some people really like to have every uh, morsel they can before they get to the actual experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing to me is if I get a sense that the story is, is, traversing more towards the propagandistic element where it's it's very clearly trying to get at a specific point where it's too it's just i get the sense it's going to be too on the nose that it it went in with a specific agenda we're going to tell you this uh that that kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes and makes me less inclined to want to see something Uh, i think it's another thing that turns me off Okay, well, that was a little exploration of trailers. Uh, so now let's move on to the second one. Um, we are approaching the holiday season. 
And with that, there are a number of holiday movies, which we'll get into some of those later. But one of the things I thought we would we'd do from the start is uh, let's talk about a few ways that you can create or add to the experience of watching holiday movies, whether it's with your family, with friends, whatever. What are things you can do this holiday season to enhance your movie experience? Uh, so let's give a couple suggestions. Rob, do you have anything? Uh, have a fire going and wear your Christmas pajamas and be with your friends and have hot chocolate. Hey, those are good ones. <laughs> <laughs> also, more specifically, when uh, my parents put up their tree every year, they eat pizza mm. and watch It's a Wonderful Life. Because my one brother the one year remarked that pizza upside down looks like a Christmas tree. <laughs> hey, when you're right, you're right, you know? So I, I think that in, in a broad scope all those things together i would say um and be willing to create and embrace tradition mm -hmm. um whether that's with family or friends yeah um because those kinds of things around the holidays bring a lot of joy um i think as we get older too um those kinds of things with friends become important because they're um as you get older as you get older, your friends uh, become, in my opinion, your close friends become like part of your family. Um, and they're, they're like a support system for you. So I, I would recommend anything you can do that would bring people together that uh, you all care about each other. Because yeah. that's the point. Like um, holiday movies, especially, I feel like are great to watch with groups of people mm -hmm. um, instead of by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree with everything you were saying there, especially about, you know, finding and embracing traditions. Also invite other people into some of your traditions. That's always fun too. Uh, but two specifically that I thought of is one is, especially when you have family and friends that are spaced out over, over distance. Uh, one of the things that some streaming services have started adding is the opportunity to do watch parties. Um, you can you can set up a watch party. I know Amazon Prime does this, and I think one or two other ones do, where you have the opportunity to set a watch party and watch something together, even if you're not in the same space. Uh, mm -hmm. That's something that's really cool. That's just, I mean, it was something that was kind of slowly added during the pandemic and then has continued uh, to roll out. So that's an opportunity to do something where you're able to share an experience together, even if you're not able to be in the same room together. And I think that's something that can be really, really cool to do. And you can create, carry on some of those traditions, uh, or just create new ones with friends. Um, if you're not able to be in the same place at the same time. Uh, so think about that. Think about trying to do something along those lines, doing a watch party with a specific movie. And another one I thought of is find unique or different ways to watch some of your favorite movies, um, especially when it comes to holiday movies. You see a lot of public viewings of movies. Um, sometimes it's outdoors in some sort of park or something. You can find, you know, uh, a favorite holiday movie that's being played out in out in a park or, or some sort of unusual venue. Uh, attend, attend something like that. Um, sometimes you're having, I think, I forget which one it is. Sometimes your local theaters will run some of your classic movies in a different format. Like I think, uh, some of them are doing 
some of the classic ones in IMAX. You know, and none of the Christmas movies ever come out in IMAX. So uh, seeing that in a different format is is really interesting. Um, create some of those own experiences yourself if you want to. Um, another one is, and this is something that I'm I'm going to try and work on, seeing if I can go to, is um, like the Philadelphia Orchestra is doing one of these where they're playing Home Alone and then playing the score live while nice. they show the movie that's a that's a unique and different way to uh to watch some of the some of the classics is being there while they play the score live and especially a movie like home alone that has such a brilliant score uh would be a really cool experience so find a different unusual way to watch some of the movies that you love doing um it just it just adds to that holiday season okay and so we'll be getting into some more stuff when it comes to holiday movies in upcoming weeks. Uh, so stay tuned for that and keep checking in with the Film for Fans podcast. And now we'll close today with our watch list, movies that we've watched over the last week. So Rob, what'd you watch? So I watched Wakanda Forever. As we have said, um, I felt it, uh, the very beginning of the movie especially was a very fitting tribute uh, to Chadwick Boseman, um, who was emotional um there were tears shed uh throughout the theater um the acting was superb in my opinion and felt i think it was so good because i believe that each of the people involved in that movie loved him and i felt like they showed that emotion in their performance hmm. so it didn't feel like acting and i think that's what made it so good yeah. um because i do think it was real um I uh, I also had the chance to watch The Tower of Terror, mm. which is a like, Disney Channel original movie from the 90s. Um, I have no idea how they actually, uh, you know, based the ride, based, made, this movie is based off the ride, but the movie didn't really feel like it had much to do with the ride, <laughs> personally. Um, but still, it was an interesting movie, family-friendly, creepy kind of movie. Um so if you're in need of a Halloween-type family movie, Tower of Terror, it's pretty decent. Had a good story. Um, and it stars uh, Kirsten Dunst as like a, um, I think she's like 10 or 11 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so those were the two main ones that I watched this week. And like I said, I'm going to see the menu this evening. Very cool. Uh, so I also watched two movies. Um I watched uh, Must Love Dogs with my wife. And so this was one that she had gotten from her grandmother. And uh, I uh, got to watch that with her this week. And um, it was it was a DVD and it was in full screen format. <laughs> and so I had a hard time watching a movie in full screen format on a widescreen TV because it just like it stretches everything and just like uh -huh. the zoom is weird. And it's like, I can handle, I can handle DVDs on widescreen format because it scales better. Uh, but the, the format was messing with me a little bit. Um, I would put it in, in the okay romantic comedy column. Um, I, I am not opposed to romantic comedies. I like a number of them. Um, this won't be a favorite of mine um it just the premise of it overall just didn't catch me 
And I don't think it was the best exemplar of the genre. I mean, the genre has a very set format. And I just, yeah, it was just okay. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I would say about that one. I, I think I'd seen it before, but, um, you know, um, yeah. And the other one I watched was Facing Nolan, the uh, the documentary on Netflix about Nolan Ryan. Uh, which is really fascinating. It really is. He, I mean, he has a really unique MLB career. I mean, the dude pitched in four different decades. He pitched for 27 seasons. I mean, like the guy was insane. The guy was absolutely crazy with the the longevity of his career and how good he was the whole way to the end is pretty remarkable. And it's really fascinating too, because, um, he has such a unique career because he has so many major league records. I think they were saying like 51 major league records. And some of them are things like most walks and like most grand slams allowed and, <laughs> and all those type of things. So like some of them are like not necessarily records you want to have. And partly it's because he was so, he was so wild as a pitcher. And partly it's because when, the, when you play 27 years, you, can, you just have more opportunity to get negative records too. Um, but it was a really he good record for most times punching Robin Ventura in the face <laughs> during baseball game. Yeah, they did tell a lot of the backstory behind that. How like the White Sox had agreed they had some rivalry back and forth, and they agreed if Nolan hit anybody, whoever they hit was was supposed to charge the mound, or else they would get fined five hundred dollars <laughs> by their teammate. <laughs> and so this they suspected that Robin Ventura really didn't want to go out to the mound, uh, but did so out of uh, you know, basically fear of his own teammates. And then he, he got royally pummeled. Yeah. And uh, it also talks about like why Nolan Ryan was so aggressive in that because he had gotten charged before and didn't feel like he felt like he got put in danger by the fact that he wasn't being aggressive. And so he had made up his mind. If anyone charged the mound on him again, he was going to take it to him first off. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a great experience. It really is like, yeah, the dude is just crazy. So it's it's worth a watch, uh, facing Nolan on Netflix. All right, well that is the show. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Make sure you check out filmforfans.com where we have our article um, giving you what to watch on Netflix and Amazon Prime is up there. So if you're looking for a movie this weekend, check that out and our other great content. Uh, until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>